Welcome to Didache, our lesson 15, which is the third lesson on prayer, and the second Didache in a week's time. So I'm glad you all came back. Uh, let us begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, through your Son you have promised us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Govern our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that in our daily need, and especially in all time of temptation, we may seek your help, and by a true and lively faith in your word, obtain all that you have promised. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, I'd like you to turn in your book for today uh, to page 185, and we are going to begin by completing our discussion of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. We discussed the introduction last week, our Father, on Monday, Our Father who art in heaven, the first petition, hallowed be thy name, the second petition, thy kingdom come, the third petition, thy will be done. We discussed the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, that that belongs to not only the third petition, thy will be done, but also the first petition, hallowed be thy name, and the second petition, thy kingdom come. Question. Under the first petition, hallowed be thy name. What did we say that the name of God, the hallowing of God's name is focusing upon? What are we, when we're praying that petition, hallowed be thy name. What is it focusing upon? Don't all speak at once. His word. Okay, his word. The hallowing of God's name has to do with his word. Two things about it. That his word would what? Be taught. And then secondly, we follow it. We lead our lives according to it. That's right. The hallowing of God's name. Second petition. Thy kingdom come. Boil that down. What's the kingdom of God about? When we pray, thy kingdom come. That the Holy Spirit comes to us for what purpose? For the sake of faith. There you go. So the kingdom of God is about the gift of the Holy Spirit in faith. Which comes by the word, first petition. Without the word of God, remember our discussion of the Holy Spirit under the third article? The Holy Spirit works through the Word. Without the Word of God, there is no coming of the Holy Spirit. There is no creation of faith. So that first and second petitions go together. The Word of God, first petition, by which the Holy Spirit comes to us and calls us to faith. Second petition. And God's will is that we're preserved in His Word and in His faith until we die. If on our deathbed we have nothing, we're destitute, we've lost our wealth, our honor, our property, um, but we have 
faith in Christ, God's will is done. It's served. Now, I'd like you to think as we are about to move into the fourth petition that the Lord's Prayer, every petition of the Lord's Prayer, we should, should take us to, to Jesus, to, should take us to Christ, should be anchored in what he has done. So, our Father who art in heaven, remember I said who's the most important person in the our pronoun? Jesus. Because of what he did, God the Father is our Father through God's only Son. And what did he do? He, he died for us. And the hallowing of God's name, God's name is holy when the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. First petition. And when you come to hear and receive through the word of the gospel what Christ has done for us, then his kingdom is coming to us. And we're enjoying the blessing of his forgiveness, life, and salvation. And when that happens, God's will is being done. The devil, the world, our flesh, their will is against Christ and the gift of salvation in Jesus so when we hear that word and when we believe that word and when we claim those promises of our baptism that God is our true father through Jesus and we're his true children and we have nothing to fear because by the word of the gospel, first petition, God's kingdom of life and salvation has come to us, second petition, and God's will is done because devil, world, and flesh, their will has been broken and hindered and we belong to Christ. See? See? So, I want you to think about all of prayer in those terms. And remember how we began our discussion and the very first time on prayer, the foundation for prayer is God's word. And we have access to God through what Jesus has done. And our baptism declares us to be the children of God. So every one of those petitions of the Lord's Prayer, we're asking for the very things God has promised us through Jesus Christ our Lord, which includes daily bread. Fourth petition, forgiveness of our trespasses. Fifth petition, deliverance from temptation. Sixth petition, and from all evil. Seventh petition. And all of those promises for the gift of daily bread, for forgiveness for ourselves and for one another, and to be let out of temptation and delivered from the evil one, they're all promises that God makes to us on account of Christ. And they're ours through Christ. Okay? Any, any comments or questions you want to ask about that? That was a review while setting the stage for these final petitions. Okay. Nothing? Nothing? Sure? Okay, fourth petition. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a promise from God to do what for you? Give us this day our daily bread. That's a promise from God to do what for you? Kent? Take care of you. Good, that's the answer I was hoping to hear. 
Um, no, you won't. <laughs> Did, would your, well, maybe I should ask Josh. Um, did your father and mother, you know, take care of you while you were growing up? Food, clothing, shelter, love, compassion, words of wisdom, counsel, and advice? Sometimes. Why did they do that? And you were their son. And you have sisters, and you have brothers. Right? Why does God make these promises to us? Because he loves us in Christ. And we're the children of God through our baptism into Christ. See the connection there? Okay. That's not just an analogy. That's the way it is. So in the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, he's promised. Does your dad ever promise you anything? Is he trustworthy? If he's trustworthy and he's a wicked, foul sinner... How much more trustworthy is God through Christ? You follow that? You see why then the trustworthiness, that's what we're, we're, we're actually praying to believe that when we say, hallowed be thy name. To believe that God's word is true. That means it can be depended upon. If you could depend upon your dad because of his words, and he backed up those words with actions, didn't he? I mean, he didn't just make promises and then lie to you. You learned that he was trustworthy. How much more is our Father in heaven trustworthy? This, that how much more phrase that keeps going back to the friend at midnight, you know? If, if the friend at midnight's going to get out of bed just to shut you up so he can go back to sleep, how much more is God who loves you like your Father loves you and has made promises to you like your Father has and who does for you and keeps his promises like your Father has, how much more our Father in heaven through Christ is going to keep his word, Okay? So this fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. That's a promise. Kent nailed it. I'm going to take care of you. Trust me. Did you always get what you wanted as a little kid? No, but he always took care of you, didn't he? Isn't that true? Okay. So also with God. Remember, the, I had Caleb, you know, and Becca last week. You know, does he always, does he always get what he wants? No. Why not? Well, because it's not good for him. Okay? So in the fourth petition, God promises to give us, to take care of us. That's what faith believes, that promise. And the, what's the greatest testimony that God promises to take care of us? What's the greatest thing God ever did that, that is the guarantee that he will take care of us? He gave us his son. And so I want you to think of every petition going back to what Jesus did. That's the greatest testimony. And St. Paul says this. Since God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Christ Jesus, freely give us all things? He will. It's a rhetorical question. If you're ever tempted to doubt God's love, which is what the devil always wants you to do, and to doubt his provisions, which is always what he wants you to do, you can't trust God. You know, that's what the devil was saying to Adam and Eve in the garden. He claims to love you. He doesn't love you. He's denying good things. You eat of this tree, and then you will really live. You'll be like God then. Okay? No. 
greatest testimony of God's love is the gift of his son and what Jesus did in his suffering and death. So I don't understand what it is I'm going through in my, in my life. I don't understand why. But since my heavenly father gave me his only begotten son who died for me, I'm going to trust that God is doing good and will provide for me and take care of me. All right, so here, God certainly, look at the explanations, all right? God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. I love those first lines there. Question. If God only gave daily bread when people prayed for it, what would that do to the composite weight of the American population? Everybody, everybody would be thin, right? You get the point? So God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even all evil people, wicked people who do not believe in him in the slightest. Even the atheist enjoys the sunshine or the rain or the crops that grow in the field or the milk that the cow produces. God gives daily bread to everyone without our prayer, even to all evil people. Then why pray? That's the next part. We pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving, which thanksgiving is a byproduct of faith, of trust. Okay. So we're praying, we pray for daily bread, not so much if we don't, man, if we don't pray for daily bread, God's not going to provide for us. Well, actually, he does. He fed and clothed and took care of you, your father and mother, even though how many times throughout your life did you ask, you know, Mommy, can we? Well, you probably did ask for food because you were hungry and you came in from doing whatever you were doing. But there's so much that you received that you never actually asked for, right? So we pray in this petition that he would teach us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. What is meant by daily bread? Now look at this answer. Daily bread includes everything that has to do with the su support and needs of the body. Well, if it includes everything, then what need is there to spell things out? But in typical fashion, Luther is highlighting the superabundant grace of God by actually spelling it out. And he could have said more, as he says at the end, and the like. But it includes everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods. Now, maybe we would think, okay, that's a part of daily bread, money and goods that lets me buy food, put a roof over my head. But how many of us think of daily bread also to include a devout husband or wife, devout children. Christine, did God give you a devout husband? Did he give you devout children? Do you ever think of your husband as part of daily bread? Mm, yum, yum. <laughs> okay, 
devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control. Part of daily bread. Do you have self-control in you? Well, then pray for daily bread here. Good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like, which means we could say even more. Okay? Um, All of this is part of daily bread, and in another place, Luther says, daily bread, which, I mean, look at how many of these things are a part of creation. First article, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He created the heavens and the earth and all that we enjoy without any contribution on our part. And we pray in the fourth petition that we are led to realize this, to receive it with thanksgiving. But Luther says, these gifts of daily bread are what make life enjoyable. Okay? I mean, it's enjoyable to eat a um, medium rare bone in ribeye with mushrooms and baked potato and sour cream and a Caesar's salad and a glass of Cabernet. How, how does that sound, Pat? Pretty good? Okay. Okay, all right. So these are all of the things that help make life enjoyable. Um, your cup is running over when I see you here and your, your, the quiver full of children return and are worshiping with you in the house of the Lord. What a blessing, see? All right, so, but what do we tend to do when one of these things that's a part of daily bread is challenged or missing or in short supply? We act as if God is not providing for us at all. When the reality is every breath that we take, every morsel of food that we ingest, every good night's sleep, or even the nights of sleep that aren't always the best of sleep, but we still sleep, the friends, the workplace, okay, it's all provided for us all of the time. See, so we we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize that he's the giver of daily bread and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. And that he gives daily bread to everyone, even to wicked people who don't believe in him, is a testimony of what's called universal grace, or the universal love of God, the undeserved love of God that he provides. And for us as Christians, we want people to understand, because we want to learn to understand this too, that all of these gifts of daily bread are testimonies of the greatest gift of all, namely Christ, whose suffering and death makes all of this possible, all the gifts of daily bread. Any questions about that? I don't usually read from the large catechism because of time. We could spend about six hours on each lesson in Lutheran catechesis. So that's for extra reading on your own, Pat. But I like the opening line here. The devil is sorry if anyone has a morsel of bread from God and eats it in peace. If it were in his power and our prayer next to God did not prevent him, we would not keep a straw in the field, a farthing in the house, yes, not even our life for an hour. 
If the devil had his way, he'd deprive you of everything that you enjoy. All right, well, if you don't have a, if you don't have a uh, comment or a question on that, then I want you to turn to the fifth petition, page 187. And in the fifth petition, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Guess, what is the first word I want you to pay attention to? This is a guess, so it's not wrong or right on your part, but. Not trespasses. Not forgive. Not our. Not us. What? Those, not those. And. Yeah, I want you to pay attention to and. Because the word and there connects, is in the Greek, and it connects to the fourth petition. Because where do we trespass against God and one another? It's in the realm of our daily bread. If we don't have a devout husband or devout workers or devout and faithful rulers or good government or good weather or a good workplace environment or whatever it happens to be, we grouse and complain. Okay? Husband and wife are at each other's throats. That interruption of daily bread. So it's an understanding that sin or trespasses the arena of trespasses is in the realm of daily bread. Right? So when your kids uh, didn't get up in time to do the chores and so forth, it makes life irritating, difficult, right? Not that that's ever happened. I'm just speaking hypothetically, right? So it's in the realm of daily bread, all of those things that are listed, that we sin against God and we sin against one another. So give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Because it's in the realm of not trusting in God for daily bread or not making good use of the daily bread he has given us or in our relationships for one, with one another in the context of daily bread that we trespass against God and one another. So, and forgive us our trespasses. Then I do want you to notice the plural pronouns, which run throughout the, you know, forgive us our trespasses. I think most people, as I said last week, think of the Lord's Prayer, my Father, who art in heaven, and then here, forgive me, my trespasses, as I forgive those who trespass against us. What is, the most, one of, what is one of the most difficult things to do in life? And you can use the fifth petition for help. Forgive someone who has sinned against you. Harboring of resentment, bitterness, not letting go of sins against us. Do you, know what, do you know what resentment and bitterness does to us? It makes us miserable. 
And it would get so intense, it destroys faith and it destroys our life. For whose sins did Jesus die on the cross? Everyone's sin. Our sin, and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. And yet, because of our sinful flesh, we so easily hold on to the sins of others, hold people in contempt and resentment, and refuse to let go of their sins in forgiveness. Just as forgiveness of sins is the way of life from God to us. In other words, remember, what is it that causes death? Sin. It separates us from God and from one another. The forgiveness of sins in Jesus is what restores life. Remember our discussion about Jesus' resurrection, why did he have to rise from the dead? Why was it impossible for death to hold him? Because he had taken away the cause of death, sin. So he springs to life out of the forgiveness of sins that he won for us upon the cross. So the forgiveness of sins from God is the source of life, and forgiveness of sins shared amongst each other within the body of Christ and beyond is also the source of life. It's what restores marital relationships. It's what restores familial relationships. It's what restores friendship. In the Lord's Supper, there's a phrase in the Catechism that says, where there's forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Where a husband and wife freely forgive each other, they won't kill each other, which is kind of a benefit. Where there's forgiveness of sins, there's life and salvation. And Luther nails this in his explanation by essentially saying, we cannot begin to forgive or do good to others unless we are first and foremost receiving forgiveness from our Lord that we don't deserve. In other words, If we have difficulty forgiving one another, it's because we have difficulty receiving the forgiveness of our Lord. So look at what he says in the explanation. We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them but we ask that he would give them all to us by grace. For we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. Notice one, two, three, four, five, six, seven lines all talking about I don't deserve anything. I've sinned against God. I'm asking for him to forgive and do good to me according to his promises and so forth. And then finally the next two lines so we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. You see how the more we learn to believe, we can lay claim to nothing before God. Every petition is on the basis of his grace to us in Christ. For we daily sin much. We're totally dependent upon his mercy. Learning to believe that and receiving his forgiveness, the result is, so we too will sincerely forgive 
and gladly do good to those who sin against us. Do we have difficulty forgiving? Yes. Do we struggle to forgive? Yes. And that's why we pray this petition. And that's why we confess our sins. That's why we cry out to God, Lord, forgive me for Jesus' sake, so that I too might sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against me. But let's put it back into the plural pronoun, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's liturgical language. When we gather at the altar for Holy Communion, we are letting go of the sins committed against one another and claiming the forgiveness in Jesus' body and blood that we don't deserve, that we might share it with one another. In the divine service, at the beginning, there's the corporate confession where we together confess our sins. And together, in that confession of sins, should be the understanding that we are confessing our sins and holding nothing against anyone else and receiving his forgiveness that we might forgive others. Okay, So forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. That's what the church is doing all of the time. Forgiving sin for Jesus' sake. Okay. Here again, the large catechism, I like this opening line. This petition applies to our poor, miserable life. Although we have and believe God's word, do and submit to his will, and are supported by his gifts and blessings, our life is still not sinless. We still stumble daily and transgress because we live in a world among people. (laughs) They do us much harm and give us reason for impatience, anger, revenge, and such. There is here again great need for us to call upon God and to pray, Dear Father, forgive us our trespasses. It is not as though he did not forgive sin without and even before our prayer, which he does. He's given us the gospel in which is pure forgiveness before we prayed or even thought about it. But the purpose of this prayer is that we may recognize and receive such forgiveness. Okay. It's like a... It's like... um, Parents, here again, who love their children and whose love for the children is there and constant even if the children transgress, which they do. So we need this petition that we might learn to believe that there is always forgiveness from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Any questions on that petition? Or any you want to voice? I just have a technical word question. Okay, go ahead. So, in the word trespasses, yeah. I grew up praying it as death and dying. So, when I went back to Matthew 6, that's also how it says. So, where okay. is that This Greek word is a very complex word. So if I were to ask, let me illustrate the complexity of the Greek word in translation. Does it mean debts or does it mean trespasses? 
Answer, yes. It means both. You could even say it this way. Does it mean debts, trespasses, or simply sins? Yes. Now think about, think about the word debt, um, where I owe someone something. And I owe a debt that I cannot pay. Think of the word trespasses. You know where it's used, no trespassing. Do you have any no trespassing signs on the farm? I'll tell you a story about that, but I don't have time right now. Okay. Trespasses was when you, you step on property that you don't belong. Okay. Or you infringe upon a gift of daily bread that doesn't belong to you. Like a devout husband or wife. So if some other woman tries to take your devout husband, that is a trespass, isn't it? because she doesn't belong there, okay? So you see how it, this word is pregnant, if you will, with, with sin, debts, trespasses, sins of every sort, okay? Does that help? So there's nothing wrong with uh, forgive us our debts, but um, it's even more than that, okay? Amy, did you have a question? Yeah, her mind was wandering, I'll say it for the tape's sake, to Judas Iscariot, who was, what did you say? Um, not able to. Not able to receive. Yeah. The, Judas was condemned not because he betrayed his Lord, but because of impenitence, he rejected the Lord's forgiveness. I mean, if you think about it, Peter, who denied his Lord three times, swearing to God, he didn't know the man. That's just as much a betrayal, just as much blasphemy. The difference between Peter and Judas is the difference between impenitence and penitence, okay, or unrepentant and repentant faith. Judas tried to pay for his own sins. Peter, by the grace of God, was brought to realize that he couldn't. And that's, the, that's, that's part of how God enables us and brings forth the miracle of forgiveness in us toward others. When we truly learn to believe that we can't pay for our debts or our trespasses, only through Christ is there forgiveness and mercy, so then we too will sincerely forgive. Because we recognize that if we don't, we're denying the very faith in Christ that saves us. Good. Good questions. Now, wasn't that better that you, somebody asked a little question or two? Wasn't that better? Kent, that's enough. No, I just. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and which is two sides of the same coin because the pompous arrogance like of, of um, the rich man in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, that self-righteous arrogance of the rich man is one side of a works righteous faith. The other side is my sin is 
so bad there's no way that God can forgive me. That's the other side, the despair of the other side of a works righteous faith. Because both are saying you're in some ways saved by your works. Yep. Okay, good. Um, sixth petition is on page 197. And then now you can say, in answer to the question, and lead us not into temptation, what is the first word I want to focus on is the and. And it's true because the and links you to the fifth petition. It's like uh, a chain, right? Forgive us our trespasses and lead us not into temptation. Temptation... Let me define it for you this way. It's any word or will or desire that says to us, you can't trust God. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, where the serpent tempted Adam and Eve, did God really say? Oh, he knows that the day you eat of it, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. You can't trust him. He's lying to you. So every temptation has behind it the idea that you can't trust God for daily bread, or you can't rely upon his forgiveness. So lead us not into temptation, but out of that. And it does connect to the fifth petition, because more than anything else, we are called by the gospel to rely upon Christ's forgiveness. And when we refuse to forgive, we are saying his forgiveness is not sufficient. I must take matters into my own hand, eye for eye, tooth for a tooth, you know, punch those who have punched me. And that's falling prey to the temptation to believe that you can't trust this forgiveness, that it really is sufficient. Okay? Because at the heart of our relationship with God is his forgiveness for us in Christ. So, behind all sin is the idea you can't trust God. Take matters into your own hands. Honor your father and your mother. Your father and mother, they don't know what they're talking about. So you're going to dishonor them and disobey them. So you're not trusting that God can do you good through those parents. You shall not murder. You're taking matters into your own hands. You're going to punish those who have sinned against you with your hatred, with your bitterness, with some action against them. You might not take a gun out and shoot them, but you're taking matters into your own hands and you're not trusting God to do you good in that situation with that person, whoever's bugging you. Um, sixth petition, the committing of adultery. You're not trusting that what God gave you in the spouse that he has given to you is good. I need someone else to satisfy my whatever. Again, that's not trusting that what God gave you is good. And you can go on down through the Ten Commandments like that. So lead us not into temptation. Look what the explanation says. God tempts no one. So if you're tempted not to trust God, that temptation is not coming from God. 
Because he's never going to say to you, Kara, don't trust me. I'm unreliable. The devil will say that of God. Your flesh will say that of God. Certainly the world will say that of God, but God will never say that. In fact, in, the, in one event, whether it's like a catastrophe, a sickness, let's, somebody gets diagnosed with cancer, the devil's will is to destroy you through that. And what he wants to destroy is your faith, your reliance upon Christ. In that same circumstance, what God desires is that you draw closer to him. This is why sometimes God permits suffering to come into our lives. Hardship, physical health, relationship issues, other workplace issues, whatever it happens to be that is adverse to us and unpleasant to go through, In all of those things, the devil would like to destroy our faith, but God says, trust me, and wants us to draw closer to him. Okay, And uh, wonder of wonders, this could be talked about also under the third petition, thy will be done. But it's through the things that we suffer, the losses, the hardship, the sickness, the adversity, the brokenness of this world, that we actually are given opportunity to learn more deeply what Christ did for us in his suffering. Okay? Um, I said that one time in a youth group and um, some years ago, and one of the youths was in a family that was kind of broken in terms of the parents. And of course, my parents were divorced before I can remember, and then my Mother's second marriage was horrible. And I said in the youth group, I am thankful to God for having been given the opportunity to go through that. And the youth, what? You would give thanks to God for that? I said, well, it wasn't pleasant, but it taught me a lot about the grace of God and what Christ has done for us and helped me as a pastor to be able to help others in that situation. If I hadn't had that suffering as a child growing up, I I wouldn't have had that opportunity to learn from the grace of Jesus how to help others and to learn more deeply about the gospel. Okay? Uh, in the Old Testament, Joseph, who was sinned against by his brothers, says something similar to them. He says, they had sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him. And Joseph was a man who believed in the forgiveness of sins, like fifth petition. And he trusted in God. He did not fall prey to temptation, sixth petition, but held fast to the promise of the gospel. And he tells his brothers, they sold him. But he says, you didn't send me to Egypt. God sent me to save many people alive. What a radical view of what happened. He interpreted the horrible stuff that they did to him as a wonderful blessing to bring about God's salvation to others. That's pretty amazing. But that's the power of the forgiveness of sins. 
and forgive us our trespass forgive and forgive us our trespasses and lead us not into temptation okay so we pray in this god tempts no one we pray in this petition that god would guard and keep us in what in the true faith so that the devil the world and our sinful nature which are enemies to faith may not deceive us or mislead us out of faith into false belief despair, and other great shame and vice. See, that's what happened to Judas. He despaired, Amy. And he fell prey to false belief, wrong belief. He didn't believe in the height and the depth and the breadth of God's grace in Christ. And because he was ashamed, he killed himself. Although we are attacked by these things, the devil, the world, and our sinful nature that lead us into false belief and so forth, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. And the victory would be to be preserved in faith in Christ until we die. uh, St. Paul says, this is the, St. John says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith in Christ. Uh, Jesus says, In this world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So to win the victory, to be let out of temptation, is to be preserved in the faith against every attack upon my faith by devil, world, and flesh. Okay. Seventh petition, page 199. But deliver us from evil or the evil one. So temptation is from the evil one or the world or our flesh. But deliverance comes from God, from the temptation. Evil here, not just generic evil, but as Christians we believe in a personal devil. And C.S. Lewis is very good at, he had a lot of encounters with the devil, so he wrote screw tape letters um, for the master demon to his apprentice demon, giving him tips on how to tempt Christians away from Christ and into sin and so forth. It's a good, the anatomy of Satan's temptations are well laid out there. So we pray in this petition, in summary, that our Father in heaven would rescue us, that would be save us from unbelief, falling away from Christ, rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation, and finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end, that he'd rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation. The Catechism highlights that when we pray, deliver us from evil, it doesn't mean that the evils won't come. You know, you're caught in a hurricane in New Orleans and your entire, uh, you know, house and home and property is demolished. Or you're stricken with a horrible disease. So it's not that the evils will not come. It is rather deliver us from evil that we're praying to be preserved from the destruction of our faith. 
in the face and by such evils. So that when our last hour comes, we're given a blessed end. What is a blessed end? Dying in Christ, in the faith. That's right. And graciously take us from this valley of sorrow. Life in this world because of sin is described as a veil of tears, in the old translation of this, or a valley of sorrow. So it's a blessed end if you depart this world in the faith. I had someone say to me when I was early on in the ministry and had so many funerals out in Iowa in the congregation, I had a funeral one or two a month, you know, and one of the members at the death of um, a very beloved member of the congregation said to me, this has got to be one of the hardest things you have to do as a pastor. <laughs> I said, no, this, not at all. This is the end game. To see a Christian safely through this veil of sorrow to fall asleep in peace in Christ, that's why I'm in this business, <laughs> so to speak, to use crass language. That's why, that's why I'm a Christian. I want people to know Christ and the comfort and the hope of salvation in Jesus. This world is full of evil, turmoil, hardship. You know, COVID-19 is not the first pestilence or pandemic that has ever hit the world. It's one of a zillion. And it's, frankly, by comparison to others, it's a piece of cake compared to some of the some of the pestilences that have gone on, you know, the Black Plague and stuff like that, you know, entire towns utterly devastated, hundreds of people within Paul Gerhardt's congregation die, you know. So the goal of the ministry is to bring people safely through this veil of tears to a blessed end to Christ himself, to await the resurrection when Finally, what God intended the world to be without sin, without corruption is realized. Even the best day we have in this life ain't nothing to com be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And that's what St. Paul says. The present sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us in the resurrection. All right, and finally then, page 201, the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Now there's an asterisk there. Um, and it goes to the question, what does this mean? And these words were not in Luther's small catechism. Which words? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. The original question then was not what does this mean, but what is meant by the word amen. So if you read the Gospels carefully, Matthew and Luke, version of the Lord's Prayer, but deliver us from evil, amen. Where did for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever come from? Well, it was part of liturgical prayer in the Old Testament church. And it goes back to the time of King Solomon 
If you look at 1 Chronicles 29, which we're not going to, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory forever and ever. Versions of that became customary at the ends of prayers in the Old Testament church. Just like in the New Testament church, we hear the conclusion of a prayer, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It became part of the Lord's Prayer in the early church usage because for thine is the kingdom and the power and glory language like that came out of the synagogue prayers. Do you follow what I'm saying? And it is biblical. It goes back to 1 Chronicles 29. So there's a little explanation. And, and of course, look, at it. it's saying all glory and power belong to God forever and ever, which, of course, is true. But it was a, the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer as a liturgical ending. But what, the, what the, answer, the question and answer focus on is the meaning of amen. And the meaning of amen is simply, yes, it shall be so. So this means that I should be certain that these petitions are pleasing to our Father in heaven and are heard by him. For he himself has commanded us to pray in this way. Remember, every petition of the Lord's prayer is first God's word and promise to us. And therefore, he has promised to hear us. So amen, amen means yes, yes, it shall be so. So we never want to pray, forgive us our trespasses if it is your will. That would be naughty because he would not have told us to pray, forgive us our trespasses if that were not his will. Or give us this day our daily bread if it be your will. Again, he promised it. Take him at his word. Did you ever promise to take your, did you, kids like ice cream, custard, what are they, what is a favorite thing? Custard. Custard, okay. Did you ever promise to, like, take them to Culver's or something? And did they ever come to you and say, hey, can we go now? Did they ever come to you and say, can we go now, if you still want to? Did they ever say that? No. Why say that? Why give you a loophole to get out of the promise, right? You get the idea? So God wants us to pray with confidence in his promises. That's why we need to know that, that prayer rests upon the promises of God's word. We're assaulted, we're buffeted, we're kicked around and so forth, so we claim his promises and we ask him for his help and deliverance according to his word. The Lord's Prayer is not the only prayer that we can pray, but the Lord's Prayer covers everything that we can pray for. So if you don't know what words to use, then use the Lord's Prayer. If not the whole thing, then one petition. Deliver me from the evil one because he's on my back. Through Christ my Lord, amen. That's okay. Luther says, be brief and be fervent. O Lord, lead me out of this temptation, for you promised me. Amen. Okay? So he wants you to pray with certainty and to rest your confidence upon his word 
and upon Christ's promise of deliverance to you, which the word conveys. Okay. Any other questions? Now, we could spend hours and days and weeks, indeed a lifetime, learning to pray by doing, by taking up the Lord's Prayer, by taking up the Psalms. The Psalms are all prayers. And they cover every gamut of human emotion and human need, from the greatest triumphal joys to the lowest pit of misery and despair, and everything in between, for the individual or for the congregation corporately. The Psalms are all prayers. And like the Lord's Prayer, which is God's Word, the Psalms are God's Word. So if you don't know what, I'm not sure if my prayers are, are correct, well then pray the Psalms. They're correct because they're God's prayers for you to pray. And Jesus knew all of the psalms by heart, and he prayed them. He's actually praying Psalm 22 when from the cross he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first verse of Psalm 22. And the entire psalm is a prayer given to Jesus when he's suffering. And in it we find, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet from my mother's womb I have, and since I was laid upon my mother's breast, I have trusted in you, and you are my God. So this full psalm indicates he didn't lose his faith when he prayed that. He really was forsaken in his suffering. That we might not be forsaken in our suffering. Okay? So the Lord, the 150 psalms, that's the prayer book of the Old Testament. Canticles throughout the New Testament like the Magnificat of Mary, the Benedictus of Zechariah, the Nunc Dimittis of Simeon. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. I can die now. I've seen my Jesus. And so no wonder we pray that so often at the conclusion of the sacrament. We've just partaken of Jesus' body and blood, and I'm ready to die. My eyes have seen your salvation. Okay? So prayer, again, rests on the foundation of God's word, the certainty of God's word. Okay, I'm giving you the opportunity to ask any burning question at this time. And if you don't have it, well, you can ask another time, too. Kent. So, uh, seven petitions of deliverance from evil. So, just, like, right now, the world is going upside down. And there's, the culture is counter-Christian, and we're confronted with all sorts of yep. things that are counter to our faith. So, a proper understanding of that is we're praying to God to deliver us from that evil so it does yeah, so your, your faith is not destroyed. Because things are never so bad, Kent, that they can't get worse. And if they get worse, above all things, don't let me lose my Jesus. That's right. And actually, sometimes through the getting of worse, we learn and are taught to trust him all the more, which is not a bad thing but a good thing. And the source of what we hear, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding. All right. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. This is our concluding reading on the Lord's Prayer. We'll spend about 10 minutes with it. 
And it ties in so nicely to the sixth and seventh petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Mark 4.35 On the same day that Jesus had told these parables, when evening had come, he said to them, the disciples, let us cross over to the other side. The other side of what? The Sea of Galilee. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. Mind you, Peter and Andrew were fishermen by trade. And what, what body of water did they fish? The Sea of Galilee. James and John, brothers, sons of Zebedee, were fishermen by trade. What body of water did they fish? The Sea of Galilee. They knew this body of water. They knew what storms and wind does on that body of water. The point being they were not novices. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what do you think about their prayer? Teacher, do you not care? We are perishing. What do they have a lot of, as that prayer indicates? Brian? Fear, yeah. What else? Amy? Amy? Lack of faith, Beth, doubt, yeah. In fact, would you say they were frantic? Would you say they were desperate? Would you say there's more doubt and fear and unbelief in what they say than faith and confidence? Yeah. Do you know what I was taught about this story? This is what I was taught. If you have faith in the Lord, he will deliver you from the storms of life. Um, excuse me. They didn't have faith. 
Jesus himself said, how is it that you have no faith? You see that? So if that were true, if you have faith in the Lord, he'll deliver you from the problems of life, the storms of life, the inverse with thee. And if you don't have faith in the Lord, Beth, sorry, you're out of luck. Or if your faith is weak, you have no hope. If you listen to television preachers, um, you will often hear that message. The reason things are going bad for you in the workplace, Kent Franklin, is because you don't have enough faith and you're not praying hard enough for them. If you had stronger faith and you had the right prayers, you wouldn't have those struggles. That's a lie and it's false teaching. Bob? Why is it so prevalent? Why is it so prevalent? Because it flows out of um, human beings' natural works righteous faith. In other words, God does because I do something for him. Okay? And you've seen this in your own life, I bet. If someone's poor, down and out, sickly, I kind of feel sorry for them. But you know, they deserve it. They haven't lived a very good life or they've screwed up in this way, so no wonder they're suffering this way. That kind of works. And if someone is wealthy, see, like the rich man, let's go back to the rich man and Lazarus. Obviously, Lazarus did something wrong to be in such a beggarly state. And the rich man, look at him. He's obviously blessed by God. He's accomplished much. When in reality... The one in the better position was the beggar. So it's prevalent because it's natural to our sinful nature. What's the good news here? Lord, do you not care? We're perishing. Jesus says, but literally, it's a peace be still. Literally, it's shut up. Not to them, but to the wind and waves. Be still. The great Christmas hymn of Paul Gerhardt, He whom the sea and wind obey, doth come to serve the sinner in great weakness. Think about this. Jesus is awoken, and then, you know, do you not care we're perishing? Well, if you're not going to have any more faith than this, I'm out of here. That's not what he does. When they have no faith or little faith, or they're like the flickering wick. They're about to be destroyed. Their faith is about to be destroyed. He speaks. He acts. This is the good news. And it goes back to the gospel. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. It is the Lord who takes the initiative. We didn't ask for the Savior as sinful human beings. God took the initiative. After Adam and Eve's rebellion and fall into sin and they're running away from God and hiding, he takes the initiative. I will put enmity between you, devil, and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will crush his heel. He takes the initiative. And that's what we're claiming in prayer. 
the initiative that God took. Since, since my God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for me upon the cross, he will provide, he will help, he will save. And when we are faithless, the Apostle Paul says, he remains faithful, he cannot deny himself. And this is a wonderful source of encouragement for us. In our baptism, we're made the children of God, we're joined to Christ. Will you ever turn your back on your children, Kent Franklin? And if you won't do that and you're a sinner, how much more will your heavenly father not turn his back on you for the sake of his son? You see the point? Oh, how Jesus bore with the weakness and the doubts and the fears and the unbelief and the idiocy and the stupidity of his disciples. That's of such great comfort to me in my doubts and fears and stupidity. It's sort of like, if he saved them, I think he can save me because I'm just like they are. And so prayer, this is something you have to understand about, about prayer. It's not like, boy, I wish I could pray like pastor. He must have greater access to God because he's a pastor and he knows the word and when he prays, it just he knows all the right words to say. So he has greater access to God. I don't have any greater access to God than you have because our access to God is on the basis of Christ, his love, his forgiveness, his mercy, his promises. So that means that no matter who the lowly Christian is that cries out, Lord, help me, that prayer has a direct line to God. It's not like he hears Mother Teresa, she's closer than Beth Berenger. It's not true. Because we can't get any closer to our Lord than we can through the merits and mediation of Christ our Savior. What a comfort that is. And here in this story, he acts on behalf of the disciples who are weak. And that's what the gospel is all about, who are sinful and who are full of doubts. And so, so often we come to God in prayer in that kind of situation. And he acts. Who is he that even the wind and the sea obey him? The Son of God through whom all things were made and who in his suffering and death redeemed the creation. And by the authority of that, he silences the winds and the waves and he will preserve and sustain faith in him in the midst of temptation and evil. Now, um, we'll talk more about this reading in the sermon on Sunday, okay? Along with Jonah, and make some connections here, okay? Let us prepare for the Lord's Supper.
Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you, and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them, and I pray you of your boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you invite all who are burdened with sin to come to you for rest. We now come at your invitation to the heavenly feast which you have prepared for your children on earth. Preserve us from impenitence and unbelief. Cleanse us from our unrighteousness and clothe us with the righteousness purchased with your blood. Strengthen our faith, increase our love and hope, and assure us a place at your heavenly table where we will eat eternal manna and drink of the river of your pleasure forever and ever. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of all creation. For you have had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
In your righteous judgment, you condemned the sin of Adam and Eve, who ate the forbidden fruit. And you justly barred them and all their children from the tree of life. Yet in your great mercy, you promised salvation by a second Adam, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and made his cross a life-giving tree for all who trust in him. We give you thanks for the redemption you have prepared for us through Jesus Christ. Grant us your Holy Spirit that we may faithfully eat and drink of the fruits of his cross and receive the blessings of forgiveness, life, and salvation that come to us in his body and blood. Hear us as we pray in his name and as he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, grant us thy peace. Amen.
Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Blessed Savior Jesus Christ, you have given yourself to us in this holy sacrament. Keep us in your faith and favor that we may live in you even as you live in us. May your body and blood preserve us in the true faith to life everlasting. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.